Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. You could be with the greatest people that you were ever with. You'd have the best food that you've ever eaten. But you know what? Once it's over, it's over. And it fades and it's just a memory. But what God has for us is something that's permanent, something that's lasting, something that goes on and on, something that changes our life. It changes our destiny. It takes us out of the realm of darkness and brings us into light. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian completes our special Christmas message. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, in a message titled, Christmas, God's Great Rescue Mission. Now, here's Pastor Brian. This is going to be at a a great cost to him. And and like I said, just exactly what that really looks like, ultimately, we don't know. But if you think of just how Jesus was received, if you think of just how Jesus was treated, he was rejected, he was despised, he was mocked, he was spurned. In other words, all of these experiences that, that Jesus underwent the father had to observe the rejection of his son. So here's a, this is a great cost, not to mention whatever the cost would have been for the heavenly realm itself. But then there's also a cost for the son. And the cost for the son is that the son who exists with God eternally as God in the form of God, as Paul puts it to the Philippians, he's going to now take upon himself human nature. And that human nature is not a temporary arrangement. It is now a permanent situation. So the son is giving up his exclusive deity and he's adding to his deity humanity. Now, let's understand, Jesus never became less than God. He retained his full deity, but he added something to it that previously wasn't there. He added human nature to it. And again, this is a difficult thing for us to understand, but it certainly indicates that this was a step down for Jesus. This cost him something. And this is what Paul describes in Philippians chapter 2 when he says concerning Christ that he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He didn't cling to those prerogatives but he humbled himself and he became of no reputation. He took upon himself the form of a servant. He condescended, he stepped down. So in a a sense, there was an element of his glory that changed when he became a person, when he became a human being. So the mission was costly. The mission was dangerous, even deadly. And again, if, if we think in terms of a rescue mission, saving hostages from hostile captors, that's what's happening here. So it's a dangerous mission. The incarnation, sometimes we forget. And this is what I was sort of talking about earlier. When we get a sentimental view of Christmas, we miss the fact that the incarnation was the first step toward the crucifixion. 
See, we can't separate these two things. You know, at Christmas, we almost want to just not talk about the crucifixion and all that. But that's Good Friday. That's, that's Easter. We'll talk about that in April. But, you know, it's December right now. Let's just talk about Christmas. Let's talk about the baby and the manger and, oh, how sweet, you know, and all of that. That's what I mean, like a sentimental view of it. No, the, the reality is the incarnation is the first step toward the crucifixion. Jesus comes on this rescue mission, and in order to rescue us, he is going to have to give his own life in exchange for ours. That's how the rescue is going to take place. So we see it's a dangerous mission. We see it's really ultimately a deadly mission. In 1976, it was July 4th, actually, 1976, the Israeli Defense Forces, they liberated 102 Israeli and Jewish victims of a terrorist hijacking. A number of terrorists had had hijacked the Air France Flight 139, and they had flown that hijacked plane to Entebbe, Uganda. And they were given safe haven there by Idi Amin, the Ugandan uh, dictator. And the whole ordeal was about releasing terrorists from Israeli prisons. And that's what they were seeking to gain. And they had these hostages. They were threatening to kill the hostages. So what ended up happening is the Israeli defense forces, they sent out a rescue mission. And they pulled off one of the greatest rescue missions in modern times. They saved 102 out of 106 of these captives, of these hostages. But in the course of this, so the operation was originally called Operation Entebbe because it took place in in, Entebbe, Uganda. But it later became known as Operation Jonathan. And the reason it was renamed Operation Jonathan was because... Lieutenant Colonel Jonathan Netanyahu, who was the the leader of the force that went in to liberate the people, he was killed in the attempt. He was the only one that died of the forces in the battle. He's the older brother of Benjamin Netanyahu. But that is an example of a fairly modern rescue mission that shows us that these are dangerous and even deadly kinds of missions. And that is the mission that Jesus came on. And he knew it in advance. He knew that the mission would be dangerous. He knew that it would actually be deadly. He knew that the manger was the first stop on the way to the cross. But he did it because of his love for us. And that brings us to the fifth point, that the mission was personal. See, the mission was personal. Now, going back to that, and by the way, that rescue mission there in Entebbe, that was made into a film called The Raid on Entebbe. If you've never seen that film, it's a a really thrilling, thrilling film. And it's, it's one of those sitting on the edge of your seat, biting your fingernails kind of a thing. And the really painful part of it is it just seems like it, it just 
you know, everything was done and sealed and everybody was liberated and they were on their way out and it was just right at the very end that Jonathan is killed. And it's one of those things where you're just like, oh no, you know, it just, that just didn't seem like it should have happened. But, but these, these men, of course, went into this knowing the danger, but they did it out of duty. Now, for the rescue mission that we're talking about, you know, this was more than a duty. This was really a family matter. And that's what we need to see. This is a personal thing. You see, because mankind is created in the image of God. And we are, in that sense, we are the children of God. I don't know if you've ever noticed this before, but when you read the genealogy of Jesus that's found in Luke's gospel, unlike Matthew's gospel, Matthew's gospel's genealogy takes us back as far as Abraham, but Luke's gospel takes us all the way back to Adam. And and Luke's gospel says this. It says that Seth was the son of Adam. So that's the, the son that they connect Adam with. Seth was the son of Adam. Adam was the son of God. That's what it says in Luke. Adam was the son of God. Showing that humanity is, is God's, we're, we're God's children. We're God's offspring. So in a sense, it would be like, the father in sending Jesus, we can actually say this, that the Christmas story is really the story of the father sending the older brother to rescue the other children who have been abducted and who are being held captive by their tormentors. That's, that's a biblical way of understanding this. I think sometimes we're, we're sort of a little bit uncomfortable with thinking of Jesus as our older brother, but do you know that the scriptures warrant that? They allow us to do that. Hebrews tells us that Jesus is our older brother in that sense. And the author of Hebrews quotes from an Old Testament passage where the Lord is saying that he is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. So that's really the picture. It's a very personal picture. It's as though the father, because all of this happened before time began before the, the world was ever created, you know, it's as though the father would say, you know, this is, you know, as we create and as we bring this new family into existence, this is what's going to happen. They're going to be taken captive. They're going to be held hostage and we will have to rescue them. And it's as though the son would say, well, father, I will go. I will be the one to rescue them. That's what could have transpired in the, the conversation within the father, son, and spirit when all of this was being conceived, because that's what was actually happening. And so we can understand it in that way. It's a personal thing with God sending his son into the world. It was all a very personal thing. It was all a family matter. Jesus is on a mission to rescue family members. So you see, when we think of it like that, it really makes it clear that Christmas is not mainly about the things that most people in the culture think it's about today. 
Christmas really isn't mainly about gifts or decorations or food or family or friends or, or vacation, time off work. Those are the things that has become to be about. Those are the sentimental kind of perspectives on Christmas that I was mentioning. But no, we see that as good as those things are, of course, those are good things, but they're not the main thing which is so much greater and more profound than all of those things could ever be in and of themselves. I mean, we're all blessed when we have good family relations. We're all blessed when we have great friendships where it's a wonderful thing to be together. It's great to have those meals and those, those are all great things, right? But they pale in comparison to the real meaning of Christmas. So for those who that that's what Christmas is, that's what they see it as for those who would say, well, I don't really see any religious significance to Christmas. Well, you're missing the whole point because it is, it is entirely religious in the best sense of the word. It's about a loving father who sent his son on a mission to free us all from Satan's power. That's what's happening here. And to provide forgiveness for our sins and to bring us into a beautiful, personal, eternal relationship with God who loves us with an everlasting love, who has a wonderful plan for us that begins the moment we receive him and stretches into eternity. That's what Christmas is really all about. And if we miss that, if we forget that, if we sentimentalize it and just think of it, like I said earlier, as just the baby in the manger, if we fail to see what was really happening here, then we are impoverished as a result of that. We want to understand it for what it truly is, for what it truly was, because the objective was to bring us back to God. That's the objective. That's the purpose. That's God's intention, that God and sinners would be reconciled, brought back to him. That's what we need. And that makes all the difference in the world. Because you can have all of those other things. You could have the best Christmas in the current understanding of it imaginable. You could get the best gifts you ever got. You could be with the greatest people that you were ever with. You could have the best food that you've ever eaten. It could just be the most wonderful thing. But you know what? Once it's over, it's over. And it fades and it passes and it's just a memory. But what God has for us is something that's permanent, something that's lasting, something that goes on and on, something that changes our life. It changes our destiny. It takes us out of the realm of darkness and brings us into light. It takes us from a place of being aimless and no connection with our maker and brings us into a relationship with him. You see, that's really what Christmas is about. It's about God making a way for his estranged children to come home and to have a relationship with him. That's what it is. And that's how we need to understand it. A great theological voice and a great defender of the faith, uh, R.C. Sproul. Some of you might know his name. Some of you might not. But R.C. Sproul was a brilliant man. He was a pastor. He was a professor. He was a, 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 an apologist, a real defender of the faith. 
written several books and, and you know, just kind of a giant in uh, the 20th century Christian world. So I, I was familiar with him and have been blessed by his ministry and his books. And uh, so anyway, I saw this, uh, I saw um, on Twitter, somebody had posted a, an interview with him. And so I thought I, w- I would listen to it. And as I was listening, I was totally fascinated by his story that I didn't know. I kind of just had the assumption because of his stature as this great theologian, I, I, you know, I kind of just had the assumption that he grew up in the faith, he grew up in the church, and he just you know, moved, moved into this and kind of naturally became this great theological mind and all that. But to my surprise, the, the interviewer asked him, to tell his story about becoming a Christian. And it was fascinating to me because here's, here's what happened. So he grows up in Pittsburgh. He has no connection with a biblical kind of Christianity. He grows up in a nominal, I think it was a Methodist at one point and then a Presbyterian, mainline liberal church where it's just church, just religion, no, no belief in the Bible, no preaching the gospel, none of that goes on there. So, you know, he just grows up in that. And he goes off to college. And at college, just, you know, on a particular occasion, him and a friend, they were going out one evening, they were going out to get some drinks. And on their way to the bar, the pub, whatever it was that they were going to to get their drinks, uh, he realized that he had forgotten his cigarettes back in his room. So he didn't want to go without his cigarettes. So he went back to his room to get his pack of cigarettes. And when he went back to go to his room, there in the lobby of the dorm, there was a young man that was there. And the young man just said, hey, could I, could I talk to you guys for a minute? Could I, could I tell you a little bit about Jesus? And they just said, well, I guess so, you know going to get my cigarettes, but I, you know, I guess I'll give it a listen for a second. Well, you know, he just goes on to tell the story how that conversation completely captivated him. And after listening to this young man, he went back to his room that night, got on his knees, realized he was a sinner and asked God to save him. And that forever changed the direction of his life. And, you know, when I heard that, I thought, wow, I never would have guessed that was the background of, of this great theological mind. Who would have guessed? And who would have guessed that it was just some random guy at college who decided to share his faith that was the, the trigger to bring him to trust in the Lord. So, but here's the thing. As, as he's telling the story, he says, you know, he says the young man didn't really, he didn't lay out like a step-by-step kind of a gospel presentation. He didn't ask me if I wanted to become a Christian or receive the Lord, he said, but here's what happened. He said, when I listened to this young man talk, what I knew is that this young man knows God. He knows God. He's speaking about God in a way that is so personal and so familiar that he knows God. And I want to know God like that. So it was just this, this young man's, you know, passion and, and love for Jesus that was the, the very thing that God used to bring R.C. Sproul to faith. And, and I thought about that. So I was talking to my wife, who yesterday was up in L.A., and uh, she had the invitation to go up to the Fred Jordan mission there on Skid Row. 
and to share a gospel message. And she was telling me about the several hundred people were there and she gave the gospel message. And then she, you know, she asked for a response. And she said at first she asked for a hand response. She said, but the sun was kind of in her eyes, so she couldn't see who was responding. So she said, well, you know, forget raising your hand. If you want you know, if you want to know this Jesus, this wonderful counselor, this child that is born, this son that is given, she preached from Isaiah 9. She said, then just stand up. And she said, almost everybody stood up. And there were hundreds of people there. And she's like, oh my, well, okay. So, you know, then she prayed with them. And, and afterwards, one of the ladies said to her, she said, you know, we've never really seen a response like this. That was amazing. But so she's telling me that story and I said, you know, honey, and here's the amazing, the amazing thing. So I told her the R.C. Sproul story that I just told you. And I said, you know, you never know who in that crowd might be the next R.C. Sproul or someone like that. Someone who just responded to the gospel, the clear message of Christmas, and gives their life to Jesus. And it's now sends them on a trajectory that nobody could have ever imagined. That's what happens because... The Christmas message is about coming into a relationship with God, the God who made us, the God who has a plan for our lives. It's about our sins being able to be forgiven through the death of Christ that became possible because of the incarnation, God becoming a man, God the Son becoming a man. It's because of all of that that all of this is possible. And so today, as we close today, I just want to say this. If you are here today, and if you can't say with certainty that you know the Savior, you can't say with certainty that you know your sins are forgiven, you have a relationship with God, He's at work in your life, you are following His plan, you know that when you die, you will go to be in the Lord's presence, not because of what you've done or not done, but because of what Jesus did. If you don't have that confidence, in other words, in that, then you've missed the whole point of Christmas. The whole point of Christmas is to give us the gift of eternal life. And if you don't have that, please don't go anywhere until you get that resolved. It's the greatest thing possible. There's nothing like it. You know, the longer I live and the more I go on in life, I just am so thankful that when I was in my early 20s that the Lord saved me, I think, man, where would I be without Jesus? And just what a, what a glorious thing it is to know him. And as we look around us and we see so many that, that don't know him, may God open their eyes. But you never know. It might just be because we're excited about him and the relationship that we have. And as we just talk about that, and you know, somebody listening to that might say, I want that too. I want what that young man or that young woman has. I, I want to know God like they do. That's what Christmas is about. Christmas is the story of God's great rescue mission. He sent his son to liberate us and to bring us home, to bring us into the family so that we might be the children of God. May God bless you as, as we go this week. May the Lord just go before us and open up doors and use us to spread the fragrance of Christ to those around us. 
the month of December, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Finding the Right Hills to Die On by Gavin Ortland. The world is divided over issues like race, gender, sexuality, and health. But there are even greater divisions in the church, divisions over doctrines. But how as we as Christians move past doctrinal divisions in an effort to maintain unity, but without compromising the essential truths of Scripture? Well, in his book, Finding the Right Hills to Die On, Gavin Ortland provides a guide to help you prioritize doctrine according to four different ranks along a spectrum of doctrinal importance. This book will challenge you to consider the balance between faithfulness to God's Word and the need for Christian unity. If you want to be as effective as possible at advancing the gospel in our time, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order Finding the Right Hills to Die On by Gavin Ortland. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we resume our study in the book of Ephesians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.